Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly, and it is the beginning of a new round. We are on round six. Hello. Hey. And that hi. means that the peanut gallery is here. Say hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hey, I can hear Elder this time. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, we are, we're about to start round six. We're right at the beginning of things. Um, we talked about randomizing our turn order, but we're not going to be able to do that. There are too many people that have to go in a particular slot. Like Paul is in Florida, but he's going to come back and he's only going to be back for just a few days. So he has to go on this week and you know, the type. Yeah, if you could see our faces, we're all making faces right now about we're, Paul. We're all tremendously unhappy about that. But, you know, he begged and pleaded to remain in the in the Game Brain group. And uh, when somebody prostrates themselves that much, I think you just I think you have to give in. I think you have to, to, to let it happen. Round six, we are going to do something. Our theme this time is going to be changes. This was Dimitri's recommendation, ch ch, -ch changes We're going to be talking about uh, changes to board games over the years, changes to the industry, even changes to ourselves. How have we changed over the course of our gaming I have career? not changed one bit. That is absolutely correct. No matter how much we beg and plead, Dimitri has not changed. Not one iota. What else do we have to say? Uh, we do have something that we want to uh, th that we want to announce here. We are going to change one of our names, one of our monikers. We have listened to this person talk on and on and on about games. He may post more than the rest of us combined about games, and yet he claims that he is the non-gamer, Dimitri Portnoy. We are going to knight you tonight, sir. I will henceforth be known as Mr. Paradox. No, sir. <laughs> you, Dimitri Portnoy, shall forever be known as the philosophical gamer. I accept, Tom, as long as you will be my Plato. Jeez, okay. That's <laughs> super weird. It's ex yeah. exactly what we were hoping wouldn't happen. Happened, and yet... <laughs> That is what we're sticking with. Non-gamer, no more. Too many people were complaining about why is he the non-gamer? It doesn't make any sense. And only by his very, very extraordinarily narrow philosophical definition of himself is he the non-gamer. The philosophical gamer is by far what you are more. And uh, that is what you are. We dub thee the philosophical That's gamer. Good. I think it's a good change. I support this change. Excellent. This is you, when you said we're, he's changing his his name. I thought it was going a different direction, though. Yeah, oh, Actually, where are we going? I, I I was thinking he was he finally had it with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from now on, Dimitri's name will be Ted. <laughs> Say hi, Ted. Hello. <laughs> All right. Um, the first changing my name. What? Can I yeah. be next and change my can, name? Can you be next? Yeah, you've never liked your name from no, the get-go, but yeah, you know. Down with a little snicker. Well, the problem is, is that now we're at the point where you can't actually change your name. Other people have to change your name. Our first, uh, our first review up, or our first uh, guest, I should say, is going to be Jennifer. Jennifer is not here today during this recording. Our co-host, co co thank you, sir. Our first co-host is going to be Jennifer, and we are going to be reviewing 1862. And I believe Jennifer is going to be talking about how games have not changed, but should. 
All right. There is a lot of things that the video game industry has done, a lot of things that have been happening that have really uh, had their finger on the pulse of our culture and how we're changing. And in some ways, our crusty little board gaming hobby might be behind the times and it might be time for more changes to happen. So looking very much forward to that. Everybody say goodbye. And then in just a second for you podcast listeners, we'll be back with Jennifer. Goodbye, non-gamer. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, non-gamer. We loved you the most. Bye, everybody. Welcome back. This is round six, turn one. And I can't think of anyone that I would rather begin this round with than Jennifer Slickburn, our veteran gamer. How are you, Jennifer? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the invite. Are you kidding me? Always, always. This round, we're going to be talking about changes. Changes to games, changes to the industry, sometimes even changes to us. And this turn, we are going to be reviewing the re-released classic, 1862. Jennifer, this is our very first 18xx review that we have ever done on this podcast. <laughs> and I, I, I'm so glad that you are here because Matt and I were talking about this the other day. You have played more 18xx games than Matt and I combined times 10. Well, we played 1830 every week for the for at least two years. This is what I'm saying. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I played it easily 200 times. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, there is there's nobody that I would rather talk about 18xx with than you because you, you, you go back. Did you ever meet Francis Tresham? Uh, no. Well, you know, Francis was in England. Yes. So I didn't have my, I didn't know my British friends at that time. Yes, yes, yes. And and the internet wasn't such that you were, no, you were, you were really corresponding. No, no, He, um, yeah, I, I think the last time he was over here was probably when 1830 was being developed. Yes. So, and apparently he and Bruce Shelley and Avalon Hill fell out and he went home. Oh, because I was going to say that, that Francis Tresham also designed Civilization. And kind of. Right, well, it's kind of, exactly. And <laughs> oh, you're, no. Civilization is all Tresham. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you designed Advanced Civilization. I helped design one of the, um, it. It's a design credit that you possess. Let's right. say that. Right. I, I never want to take full credit. because No, 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 no. It's a, like it, it, Avalon Hill days, it was a team, and it was a, an amazing team. Which yeah, is, and was Tresham was not credited for advanced civ. Do you think that, uh, that, that, that maybe he should have, or do you think that was mostly a design that was not that was Well, I guess I can ask you as a screenwriter, right? <laughs> if you take a Sherlock Holmes story and then make a screen and you change it some i would say based on characters by i would say that at the minimum you would put that credit so yes i think his name should have probably been on it okay so then you would put arthur conan doyle as one of the screenwriters yes yes he would be or it would what it would be is is he would not be a screenwriter but it would be based on the works of conan doyle right so right there in the very next card that might be on advanced great okay yeah i mean it's just that kind of in the intellectual property thing you can't create intellectual property unless you actually create the actual thing yes. that you're claiming is intellectual property <laughs> right and and yeah and the whole game mechanics can't be uh, he uh, did not patent them right exactly yeah and it, it wouldn't have been worth patenting 18xx even if it's so popular because the cost of defending a patent is over $300,000 just to get started. Holy cow. And 18XX has never made that kind of money, unfortunately. My goodness. 
Well, let's get into the show. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's make sure that we get to it. First thing we're going to talk about is game night. So uh, last weekend, we were at Strategicon, and we did a lot of gaming together. Ben and I already talked about that on the last show. Uh, but because of that, we didn't actually talk about what we did the previous Tuesday at Game Night. The previous Tuesday, we played the Underwater Cities expansion, and we played Barrage. This Tuesday, we played the Underwater Cities expansion. Can you tell that we're kind of liking something? Uh, and we played the the brand new Glenmore 2. It was actually a 2019 release, but there were very few copies in the, in, in the U.S. They're starting to change that. A brand new publisher called Fun Tales is putting that game out, and they have uh, started to um, attack America and bring it to America. And I will say, well, I don't need to say much about it because I will tell you that we played Glenmore 2 on Tuesday, and then we played it again on Friday. That's a Fister design, right? No, it is not. No, it it's is not. It is not an Alexander Fister design. Is that Glenmore? Okay. No, uh, a tie lane game originally from 2011, I want to say, I think. That sounds about right. Um, and this is the new version with a chronicle aspect to it, where the game changes over time. And Jennifer, you played Everdell yesterday. I did play Everdell last night. Tell me, I, I'm dying to hear what you think, because it's one of those games that, when, I rev- when we reviewed it on the podcast, it was one of those things that it was like, well, everybody always talks about how great that game is. I look at it, and I looking at the rules and looking at how the game is, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't think it's a really g- great game. But I heard so much about it that eventually I met Dan, Dan Yarrington of uh, Tab- Tabletop Tycoon, and he said, listen, we'll, we'll give you a review copy. You should really check this out. I think you might really like it. And sure enough, I really did. I was I was kind of captivated. I know. By um, it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think. I mean, looking at the rules, the rules looked oh middleweight euro. Been there, done that. Right? Yeah, or even lighter than middleweight euro. Yeah, really. It, it, there's, there's, <laughs> lightweight euro. It's like almost there's nothing there there, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Except that I think, um, you know, I think what I like about it is it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yep. It is a little. It's somewhat random. Like we had a card that, well, if you have a chapel, blah blah blah, you get all these. Points. Mm-hmm. So, whereas, well, what the card stack has got to be a hundred cards at least. Yep. And so, where's the chapel? I don't see the chapel. Yep. You know, yep, yep, I, I, yep. right. But then, because it's short enough, yep. you don't mind it so much. You know what I mean? So, yes. yeah, we, and as my, uh, my, uh, Dear friend said, it's got cute animals. How can you hate it? Oh, the, the look of the game is astonishing. Fantastic, yeah. The fact that, that it's not it's not stone, it's little pebbles. Right, it's not I know, wood, huh? It's yeah, twigs yeah. that you're picking yeah. up. Yeah, isn't oh, that, now see, we talk about change. That is such a welcome change. Oh, yeah. To the hobby. And you know it started with Agricola, right? Yes, very much so. Because everybody started blinging out, well, I can go to, you know, to Michael's and buy some cows. <laughs> 
tray. Uh, my copy of Agricola to this day has these wonderful like cows and sheep right. and, and pigs. That and and the cows there are like five different kinds of cows, right. so they all yeah. look differently. And, and Trey got them from an educational supply store. Right, exactly. We are so good at repurposing stuff. I'm telling you. Oh yeah. Um, but so with Everdale, the pieces really add to the experience. Absolutely. I thought so, and I, I will say I, I think that with Everdell, it was. There were elegant synergies that you were trying to find in the game, and even right. if you were stymied because of the draw of the deck, you have a hand of cards. I mean, you have up to eight cards in your hand at any given time. You have a meadow with a lot of cards out there on the meadow. There's synergies to find in there, and that made what was a, still a very simple game to understand, right. like very engaging. Right. The other thing is, you know, it reminded me it's, it's either Wraith or New Frontiers of the Limitation of the Tableau. Yes. Right? So you only have 15 things. That's right. And then when you first start, you're like, oh, got plenty of room. Yeah, New Frontiers, you only have like seven oh, players right. that you can exactly. put down or something along those lines. Yeah, and so, but then you get to 10, you go, well, everything I have is zero or one. <laughs> mm, this could be a problem. I only have five more spaces left. Well, and it ramps in a good way. And right. in, in, the sp- in the winter round, which is the beginning of the round, I have two two workers to put out. I have maybe a card or two to play. Right. I'm like, how the... The game says you can only have 15 cards in your tableau. Right. How am I ever going to get, get the 15 there. cards? Right. I, I don't know. Th- I think I'm going to play one card, and this is a quarter of my game. This is like one of the four seasons of right. the game. And then by the end, you're like, oh, boy, I put down too many things. Right. How the <laughs> exactly. heck am I going to, Right, know. because, no, so it has a very nice tension to it, and that makes a really good decision space. I mean, the second time I play it, right, yeah. I'm going to be much more aware of that 15-card limitation and much more aware of well, okay if i put down a zero point you know where is that going to get me three points yes you know and yes. you're going to go oh well you know hmm i don't have anything that matches with it or whatever i'm not going to put that down yeah. yeah and then the discard thing i thought was very cool too yeah you know not just being able to just freely dump stuff you have to take actions yeah to get rid you of have cards to, right and, exactly and no i thought it up. was really good you know i'm still on deep not wide so i'm yeah, not sure. i'm not buying it, but I would definitely play it again. Well, we'll, we'll have it here. Maddie has it uh, has borrowed it probably for over a month now. I think it's the game that he and his wife play, you know, almost nightly. Really? Yeah, well, they really, they really like it. I think you should get him to buy his own copy. No, <laughs> no. Well, but I will say this: that there are expansions that are coming out for it. Uh, we we play with with one expansion with the Pearl, Pearl Brook. Brook. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an elegant little expansion. Is it, it? It doesn't try to do too much. It See? keeps it very very simple. It's a simple game, so you don't want to add on a ton of stuff. It adds on one thing that 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 changes the game in a subtle but significant way and i quite like it yeah you're trying to talk me out of deep not wide i can tell no 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 <laughs> but but we are a podcast where we're talking about games and the new games that are out here right. so unfortunately the 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 topic of the of the podcast has to be wide not deep to some degree so yeah, right. But I think, you know, you guys also do 8x8. Eight eight. Yes, that's we do. A, that's a deep, not wide. We try. Right. And so it's not like you ignore, you know, the the other games. Sure. Let's say this. Uh, Underwater expan- uh, Underwater Cities expansion, we are having a great time with it. We continue- <laughs> How much of it are you using? Um, we, have, we only play with the museum board. Okay. 
So uh, all of it, basically, I guess that means uh, there are other there are other boards that you can play that do not that are not compatible with the with the museum. I'm not sure why they're not compatible with the museum because I think the museum is a good addition. Well, I, and do you play with the new player start? That, yes, you know, right. That is that is the most I, to me that's the most important change. In yeah, the, in the it game. definitely. Gosh, because it used to you know anytime a game gets past three hours, I'm like I could have been playing in 18 at <laughs> So you gotta you gotta stay within three hours. And Underwater Cities, the original, was not doing that. And it, yeah, and even even now, it can go three hours easily. But because you have, and I love asymmetric starts too. It, you, right. you start off basically it's it's chopping off a couple early rounds because it gives you a bunch of resources that you start the game with, and they're asymmetric. You have two to choose from, and the one that you choose kind of gives you a it, it gives you you have a strong advantage in. A, but you start off with nothing in B, and that's that's good. That's right. true. Well, you know, again, we talk more about change. Back in the day, right, everything was just in front of you. Like, even if you look at 30, at 1830, it doesn't start you off with anything. True. And so you're like, what should I do? Well, and so now, when you come up with these, with the Terra Mystical style, you know, yep. starts, then you go, or um, Zulkin, you know, you go, oh, that's what I can do. Or, I mean, my favorite currently is the Lorenzo expansion start. I don't know if you, you no, know. No, they haven't shipped it. It's amazing. Okay, so here's the Lorenzo expansion start, is we all start with the exact same stuff, but... There's this little mini game that we start with where we are bidding on these tracks. And wherever you bid on the track is you're basically saying, I will, uh, I am going to get, the, I'm going to take this card, which gives me a superpower. And what I'm bidding is the amount of things I start with. Oh, nice. The higher you go up, the fewer things you're you going start to start with, with in order to oh, get this, yeah. this, this unique power. It's brilliant. It's so I good. don't like, I don't, I don't. I never got anything from the Kickstarter. So uh, we we just we happen to be at S in the year that 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 that, that expansion came out, so we ended up getting the the, the right things. We just yeah to look yeah out, no look out um that. you know so like I'm saying you know we, we talk about change and, and and you know I think it's important to point out some of these things. You know, people don't think of games board games as tech, but they are. Very much so. Very yeah, much so. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Moore was the other thing that we played uh, twice this week, and uh, it's a very tactical game. It's a very, very interesting tactical game where each time you have you are put to a decision point, there are a lot of choices out in front of you, and you have to figure out okay, which of these choices is the best right now, and more importantly, which of this which of these choices is going to give me a path to greater prosperity later in the game. The great thing about Glenmore is that it is a tile choosing game. There's basically a rondel. It's basically a track that right. goes around. You're going to if you're the piece that is in the back, you can move to any tile ahead, take it and put it in your tableau and it is going to activate that tile and every tile it touches diagonally and orthogonally. Uh, it's oh, going wow. to activate everything. It's possible that you could be several tiles back from any other player, which means you could go and take the next tile and do all of that, take the next tile and do all of that, take the next tile and do all of that before it's even another player's turn. But the trick to it is, is that at the end of the game, whoever has the least number of tiles in the game, that's the, their score is their score. 
everybody with more tiles in their tableau gets minus three victory points at wow. the end of the game for every <laughs> tile you have more than the person with the least. Now, is that from two or was that in the original? That was in the original. Yeah, I think that's why I hated it. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an efficiency game then. It's not about it's not about just building, building, building. It's about it's about how to get the most from the least, which is a great tension. Yeah, except when you play with Mr. Efficiency of the World. Your husband? Yeah, X, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think he was X then, but yes. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> but no, I didn't like that game, which is why I didn't really look into Glenmore 2. But now that you guys are playing it, I'll give it a shot. We would love for you to, to play it with us. I think it's I think it's a, listen, we're playing it a lot, so obviously, obviously we find it very interesting. Yeah, I'm quite willing to give it another shot. Done. Also, just like with Paul Grogan, he said he hated the marker when he played it 15 years ago, uh. but he's grown as a player. Good. And I might have grown as a player. I've certainly grown otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the news. We got a lot to talk about in the news today. I'm going to try and run through these to some degree because, you know, there'll be some things that we want to talk about, but there's a lot of stuff going on. So uh, War of the Ring, the second edition has a new expansion. I believe it's the third expansion that they have for it. It's called Kings of Middle Earth. Uh, Roberto DiMeggio, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepatillo, ne I'm sorry, I'm probably butchered that, are doing it. Publisher is Ares Games, as you would expect. And this one centers on the free people. It has some new additional rules for siege engines. It has new siege engine figures. And it focuses on some of the characters from the free people side that didn't get a lot of uh, a lot of attention in the previous expansions or in the base game. Theoden, uh, Denethor, Dane, Brand, they're going to get a little more focus in this game. Uh, basically, this is a message for Maddie. Matty, that's what's coming. He he is right. You know his son's name is Strider, so he is all in on on um, uh, on this. Have, did you play uh, War of the Ring? Okay, so what happened was I bought it, and yep. Bruce was supposed to read the rules. Uh oh. And he didn't do that, so I sold it. There you go. <laughs> but um, <laughs> actually, we were listening to to the Fellowship of the Ring coming down. Really? Oh, we both love it. They're huge. He I, did the I first. I would think that you. I would think that you should get the second edition of Lord of the uh, War of the Ring. It's it's amazing. It is an amazing game. Well, could, could I rent you for like two hours and you could teach it to us? Yes. Okay, Probably, I will pay I, you. You know, you you will rent you will rent Maddie because Maddie is the, the he's the guy. He is the, okay. he is the pro on that. Uh, well, I, then I have to rent his wife and baby. Ooh. It could be expensive. It could be tricky, but it's worth it. Apparently, it is, it's an amazing game. There's no question about okay, it. It's, then, it's, it's a classic of design. All uh, right. Back in the day, did you ever play the Richard Berg one? Um, there was a Richard Berg uh, War yeah, of the Ring. Yeah, but the rules were like four hundred thousand pages long. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, no, we took one look at that and said, I don't think so. Practically a monster. Uh, next up, Raiders of Scythia. This is Shem Phillips' design. So uh, the next in the Raiders of the North Sea and so on and so forth uh, a game is scheduled to come out in 2020. It was just announced. We don't know much about the game right now, except that we're going to be dealing with the female uh, and male warriors uh, in the Black Sea region. And I will say the one thing we do see is that we do see a little bit of art from the game. We see some cards from the game. And the art is a departure. I would say that 
the graphic design and the art design of all of these games have been very, very similar. They, they, they have a very strong style and they've stuck to it. This is a very different style. Um, I think it's equally strong. I think it's gorgeous. I think it really, really looks good. It still feels very much like it's following their cues. I think their design is very clean. I think their art style is very, very clean. I do too. Um, I think that they really go for user user interface and yes. interaction. Yeah, U- UI is their primary concern, I, I think. And this, this this art is is a departure in some ways, but I think it's still hits that very, very strongly. It, it, yeah, it, it, I might um, for that because I think I've worn out Architects and I've worn <laughs> out the rest of it. So in that sense, it could work, but we'll see. We'll see. Next up, there was a Kickstarter that we didn't talk about called DEI. I guess you would pronounce it Dei, but it's actually initials for Divide et Imperia, which I believe is Divide and Conquer. I, I believe it means essentially divide and conquer uh, well imperia and um, well imperia is is like is is, you, you, is usually division a, and empire right, or whatever yeah. but uh, i took latin for about three years a long time ago. i took one year of latin How yeah about that? yeah uh there were four students and one of them managed to get a d it was amazing oh no <laughs> poor guy that would have been me that was bad <laughs> So the, the divided Imperia is set in a futuristic world that is devastated by a new ice age. It is uh, scrappers. You're playing scrappers and you are searching for raw materials to exchange with purebred, the corporation, the evil corporation that dominates this new and terrible I see. World. Okay, so this is alternate history? Uh, alternate al- future. Alternate it's, it's, future. A, it's a dystopia future dystopia. That, that is uh, set in ice age. You can buy this game with the meeple version, which is cheaper, or the miniature version, which is more expensive. I don't think they sold a lot of meeples. This is a, this this looks like a one of those big overproduced games, and it's done by Simon, which is why I didn't talk about it because I'm looking at it and I'm like it's page after page after page. I'm just scrolling, 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 and all I'm seeing is artwork. All I'm seeing is 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 how beautiful this is and how beautiful that is and how this looks and how that looks and relatively little about the rules. And I'm getting all the way to the bottom of this thing. Look at this. Basically, I'm about to click off the page and then way down at the bottom. Talk about burying the lead way, 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 way down after the art of day and the day avatars and all that sort of stuff. The author, Tommaso Batista, is the, is the architect and author of board games. Cranio, in 2019, Cranio Creations published Barrage, his first game that he released with, with co-author Simone Luciani. So this is one of the designers of Barrage, and this is but if it's game. are you do you really want to do a Cranio Kickstarter? I, I don't. Th- it's not Cranio. Cranio isn't oh. doing it. This oh, is by. Oh, I guess I was going to say I don't think you want to do a Cranio. Yeah, I mean, I don't it, think that, I. I don't think the Kickstarter is up anymore, but I wanted to alert people that the the guy, one of the two designers of Barrage, has a new game that is more miniature-y, more dudes on a map, sort of a larger scale game. Might be something you want to check out. We talked about Shem Phillips a moment ago with Raiders of Scythia. Guess what? He's he's announced another game that is going to be coming out. 
Viscounts of the West Kingdom. So this is the third. It'll finish the West Kingdom trilogy that was Architects of the West Kingdom, then Paladins of the West Kingdom, and now Viscounts of the West Kingdom. He's only set out, sent out some Twitter posts about this, but we can say that it is a game that is more about deck building and tableau building. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess when you think about it, the other ones are to some degree. When you think about it, the other games do have a tableau aspect. You're acquiring cards and you're 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 building them. Right. Yeah. This seems to be much more of a deck builder uh-huh. game. Uh, the worker placement is going to be de-emphasized. And I'm listen. The, he's an interesting designer, and those are interesting <clears throat> games. I would like to see what he does in the that that in a game that is more in the card space than in the worker space. So we'll see. We announced previously that Marvel United was going to have kick, it was going to be released, and Simon uh, Games decided to kick it. It's a Kickstarter release. I'm not sure how I feel about major publishers doing major games and putting it out through Kickstarter. I understand the attraction. I mean, you get so much information by what pledge levels people go at, where uh, when they kick it. Oh, there are so many, and things. you get so much more money. <laughs> You can get more money that way as well, but uh, they have 12,000 backers and the game has uh, kicked at is at $1,256,000 as of today. When you hear this, it will still have about a week to go, so you'll have plenty of time to get on it. And yeah, listen, the, the great thing about Kickstarter is that you get a pretty good look under the hood. I mean, they give a lot of information. They show you the sculpts. They show you the thing. They tell you about right. how, how much the Much more than you do if you walk into a game store. Precisely right. Precisely yeah. right. The other thing is, are you saying that because of Marvel, because of Disney and Marvel, that they shouldn't have gone with Kickstarter or because of Simon? Simon only does Kickstarter, right? Yeah, I guess it's the marvel of it is is my objection. My objection is is that look, you're going to sell a ton of copies of this game if you don't re- if Marvel United does not get a normal release, then what game gets a normal release? Like like uh, uh, why d- is there anything that doesn't get kickstarted? And there's a problem with that, right? If if all of the big box main releases go through Kickstarter, then the games that I that I think Kickstarter most benefits the smaller games that can get discovered that would otherwise slip under the radar or not be published or not be published at all. Um, those games could get drowned out if if Kickstarter just becomes the de facto release uh, release format for all of the big publishers and on all of these games. So I, I like, I would like to find a way to not drown out those smaller voices that right. Kickstarter really serves well. Well, I think Disney is going to say we don't publish board games and we needed a publisher. <laughs> and Simon so. only does yeah. Kickstarter. And Spin Master is the other company that is involved in this. And Spin Master is a huge uh, uh, toy company. Oh, really? And now that I didn't know. Yep. Yep. So there's a lot of, a lot, a lot going on there, but uh, yeah, look at it. It's it, this is not a game for me. I'll tell you that right now. This is the uh, these are those uh, miniatures with the large heads, and it, it looks it looks cute. It looks well planned. It looks well de- well designed. Um, I don't think it's going to be my kind of game, but maybe it will be yours. Check it out, Marvel United on Kickstarter. Speaking of Kickstarter, 
uh, Eno Tools Kanban EV. We didn't talk about it yet, but uh, that has been uh, kickstarted to, they made $600,000 on Kickstarter for it. I did not back it. I'm going to tell you why. I have the original Kanban, and when I've done the deep dive into what this game is, it's not very different. It is a beautiful copy, though. I mean, right. stunningly gorgeous right. in a way that the original was a little cluttered and a little, right. you know, a little, a little tight. Um, you know, he went and, and redid his uh, Vinhos for the same same reasons, right? And although Vinhos offered a whole new mode, yes, right. And this does offer something. There is a uh, there's an expansion in here that is, you know, it, it, I don't. It doesn't look huge, but it's uh, the plugged speed charger expansion. Uh, which unlocks specific ability, persistent special abilities that you can get. So that's that's different. That adds, but it doesn't look like there's a a significant I, real. Yeah, I haven't game. played enough Kanban. I love Kanban. Yeah, me too. But I haven't. I haven't. You know, again, every time I see these new games, I say I have a game at home that's mm-hmm. at least as good that I haven't played enough of. So why am I going to go get something else? Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Plus, I'm pretty sure Maddie got it. So then we'll. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's fine too, and that's together thing. You know, is that if somebody else, everybody doesn't have to keep buying all the same. Everybody doesn't have to have everything, right? Right, exactly. In your game group, you need to have at least one person that has it, and yeah. then you guys can share. Right. Right. Yeah, and kind of rip the sides of the games you borrow. Yeah, you can do that too. Jennifer is referring to her desecration of my <laughs> copy of Sidereal Confluence, which she borrowed and within two days had had destroyed. <laughs> you are so sweet, though. You're like, you immediately are like, okay, I'm going to buy you a new copy and I'm going to get it to you immediately. And I'm like, oh, Jennifer, that's 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 other people. I don't care. It's not a big deal. It, it's, it's Which was very kind, guys. He's a very kind man. I want you guys to know that. Well, you're disabled and you're on a fixed income. I don't want you paying <laughs> Thank for, you. For, for my games. It's not a big deal. It's, re- it's really not. My, my collection is to be played. Yeah, so really. Is, right. That's, exactly. that's the way I look at it. Exactly. I, Me not, too. And I have to say, if that had been on the other side, I would have said the same thing you said. Yeah. Ah, that's nothing. Well, plus you and Matt, you do more buying and selling. Yeah. I don't really do that much. I, I sort of, my, my strategy is more figure out if I really, really want the right. game. Right. And I want to be more like you. And well, yeah, I don't know. I think that you, you are for years and years and years, your buying and selling strategy was my window into a ton of games. I know. But then how much did you donate? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I would I would throw money into the little into the little can at each one of your game days. Right, would, of course. I but would you know, do that. that's that's the whole thing with Kickstarter and all this stuff. We are bombarded with all of these new games. Yes, yes, yeah. I I, I think that it's it's always the the ratio, right? What is it? Is is like this is a game? I look at it and I think that there is a fifty percent chance that I might want to keep it. Is that a game that I buy? I think there's a 30% chance. There's no way I'm buying that game. There's an 80% chance. I'm pretty much certain to get that because I I don't think there's, you know, other than Vital Lacerda's games, I don't think there's much that, that I would put higher than 80% chance that I'm going, that, that that's going to be a keeper for me. Cause you never know. No, no, I know. 
moving on let's talk yes. about parks expansion there's a parks expansion out nightfall uh when you hear this it's probably the last day of the kickstarter uh it is parks expansion and parks memories adds a nighttime element to the game which which looks kind of cool and and the art is so stunning in these games uh, if you like it you're gonna like this there are new wildlife that are, are in the game there are new parks cards and there is a camping trail action a new action <laughs> in the game which for a very simple game uh, even adding one new action can increase some some playability for the game if you're a parks fan out there definitely check it out next thing we're going to talk about is a, uh, a a little situation with eclipse second dawn oh. this is a game <laughs> <laughs> this game um the it's a finnish publisher it is a Finnish game designer, and he, they decided that they were going to put out this game that was going to be the be-all, end-all of 4X space exploration games. And I love it. I think they really knocked it out of the park. It was a fantastic game. They took just the right Euro mechanics to make to, to take this game, to take all of the problems that I, that I have with so many of those types of games and to and yet it still feels like that i'm still building all these plastic ships and i'm fighting and i'm rolling the i'm chucking dice and i'm doing all that sort of stuff but it it's just this wonderful combination of those two things um and then they announced that they were going to do a second edition that was going to look better and have a few rule tweaks and and things like that and i said oh that sounds phenomenal and then that kickstarter went and then we waited and we waited, <laughs> and we waited uh, a couple of years, a uh, couple of years. But guess what? I'm happy to announce it is here. It is fulfillment is happening. It is shipping. People are getting their copies. It is starting. Did, did you back it to happen? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't back it because at the end of the day, it wasn't that different. Okay. Uh, I, it's it's though I regret it now. I want a second. I want the second. Maddie copy. did though, right? Yes, of course, Maddie did. So it's the same thing. Of course, he did. Well, but this might be one of the ones that I want. This might I might want to have my own copy of this so that we don't have to keep trading it back and forth. Um, any game like this where you have tons of different technology tiles, right? And you have tons of different ship components right. and things like that. There's you're never going to get it right on the first try, no matter how much you play test. And we have found certain things playing this game. We found that plasma missiles are overpowered. Yeah, I we found didn't that like it fusion because dr- of that. Well, this game, the second edition, seems to be a pretty well and thoroughly thought over, okay, how do we take out the, the dominant strategy of this game? How do we raise up these other strategies that we wanted to be a big right. part of the game that weren't part of the game? And, like, and how do we um, balance this? Ketchup and FCM, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. And ketchup and, and food chain magnate is very, very similar. Except that I think that the ketchup mechanism itself doesn't work. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well then, w- w- when Maddie brings it or you get it or whatever, um, I'm I'm willing to give it another try. I think you should. I, I mean, it. I mean, I'm, it's not I'm, exactly I'm, your wheelhouse as far as the type of game it is. Uh, no, well, now I'm a player of Civilization One on the computer. There you go. Okay, I'm a playtester for Alpha Centauri. I'm a. Um, well, then you might like it. Yeah. No, I'm. 
see, I have a lot of different lo- layers like onions. Uh, do you, though? <laughs> because when we get together for game night, it used to be that the person that would veto like a lot of games would be Trey would be the most likely to, to uh-huh. veto. You are now the person that is the most likely to veto. That's because I'm picky. Y'all. Yes. I don't play trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cloudspire. Let's talk about Cloudspire real quick. We have a, uh, it is coming back to Kickstarter on April 14th. And this one is going to have a couple new, uh, a new bits to it. It's going to have, the Uprising and Horizon's Wrath, new new people that you can play, new factions that you can play in the game. We have a copy of Cloudspire. Maddie is getting geared up to do a review of it. You have it as well? What do you think? I think it's really good. I think it's really is it's um it's well presented, but the graphics are a little busy. But once you play it, you understand. Um I'm looking forward we were just getting ready to to explore the co-op, mm-hmm. which is what I'm really looking forward to because trying to play against my usual is uh, I'll just get beaten to the floor. So I was well, hoping... It's a tower defense MOBA style game, right? Right. No, and I thought that they um, implemented the MOBA part very, very elegantly and very smoothly. You know, they didn't overcomplicate it with a you know 400 pages of rules right they just abstracted it down but you still get that MOBA feeling well we're gonna have a review coming up very quickly from from maddie about this so i I look forward to sharing this with our with our listeners but yeah it's it's it looks gorgeous and it and uh, most people say that it plays really well there's some people that say that it's one of those games that you have to play for a little while to really find to really find the depth well the only thing is though you okay so if you're coming from you know pure euro then you do have to play it for a while but i would argue that for those of us who are playing from 4x yeah and who play dudes on the map games sure. or then you're gonna be way you're more, right there yeah you're okay. right there interesting yeah. Um, Kickstarter news that is not about a game on Kickstarter. Kickstarter workers have voted to form the first union in the tech industry. Right. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations, indeed. That's I feel the exact same way. Uh, I, I think that we are in a country where the people that are doing the majority of the work are not being protected as well as they should. Or compensated. Or compensated, exactly right. And uh, I, I think that... We've ha- we have a history in this country of strong unions and then weakening of the unions. And yeah, then it, it seems to ebb and flow. Um, I'm personally of the opinion that even though there are sometimes excesses that happen with unions and there's there are malfeasances and things that shouldn't be done as right. far as the the way you, unions but you work look when they at get power. The, the CEOs. Yeah, I mean what the unions are doing is nothing compared to to you know Boeing. That's exactly. That's exactly my point right, of view. Exactly. I think that I, I think that the I think that people that are at the whim of the uh, of the leaders of these corporations, uh, that is an untenable situation. That is a situation which is ripe for abuse much more than the union system itself. So I'm very very happy that they are yeah. for, they are forming a union. I hope it goes. I hope it goes very well. I, listen, I'm in the Writers Guild. Maddie's in the Writers Guild. Right. We're in a union. Right, I'm exactly. a union guy, so yeah. uh, I, I got to say that. Uh, and I don't, I don't love everything about my union, but I support it. Yeah, I support yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So happy for that. And uh, 
kind of this is the this is the bummer. Asmodee put out a press release saying they have done an update to the parts replacement program as of February eighteenth, twenty twenty. If a game is purchased in the U.S. that has a damaged or missing component. Please return the whole game to where you originally bought the game for assistance. They no, they are discontinuing their parts replacement program. This is just what happens when a company is owned by a private equity firm. They don't care about anybody except the the accounting. And we talked about this when when Asmodee started buying this company and buying right, that and company, we becoming worried. bigger. We were saying the one worry: it's like all is well. Except that if if the company gets too big, do they stop paying attention to their players, to their right. end consumers? And this is directly from the textbook right. of of exactly what exactly why you should have many more smaller players in the arena and not one large player. Right. Absolutely awful. I want I want to thank Jamie Stegmeyer who from Stonemeyer Games who put out a wonderful wonderful post. You should check it out. Stonemeyer Games. It's called Replacement Parts colon why would or wouldn't a company offer this service? Yeah, I do want to bring up something about that. Though. Please do. Very, very interesting. A friend of mine purchased Wingspan. Yes. And the uh, you know the holders for the birds, mm-hmm. they were it, they were broken, and and Stonemaier Games says, well, it's not a listed component, so we we won't replace it. Really? Really? And this is a friend who apps if that happened. I mean, if she says it happened, it happened. Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not no, disputing that so at all. No, so I'm like, really? So they only replace the components that are listed in the, in the rules. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, really? I mean, so if the box is like destroyed, oh, too bad. It's not in the rules. That makes no sense. No. That so makes I'm glad no that sense I'm whatsoever. able to call them out on this podcast. We'll see. No kidding. I mean, uh, listen. <laughs> The, you are in a customer service mode, right? You are selling things directly to consumers. If you do not back up the product that you right. sell. And okay, sure, you can play the game without this, the box that the bird came in. But she paid for that box. Yes. Yes, she did. Uh, I think it's. I think it is so tone deaf what Asmodee did. I, and frankly, the, this, this example that you're giving me. Right. The, these are I get it. These are games with all sorts of tiny little things, right. and occasionally the right thing doesn't get in the right thing, and the expense of getting another one of those pieces right. and mailing it out. I understand it's a problem, but guess what? That's the cost of doing business. Right. Raise the price of the game one dollar, and you, you have, have and you it, have and you have addressed that pro, that cost that sunk cost to virtually everyone. It is not. It it is not that. That expensive. Yeah, the only thing to too that she was saying is that well, if Stonemeyer is going to say, well, you get around twenty pieces. Well, what happens when? Well, you get stuff in a box. Yeah. If you're not going to, you know, back up how many pieces the game is supposed to have, I mean, I can see where you might say the game needs twenty pieces. You may get more because of production excess. But the actual game requires this number of pieces. That's fine. But they just say, well, we're not going to tell you how many pieces you're supposed to get. You, you can, it's around this number. And maybe that the number that you got isn't enough. It's, 
it's infuriating. These are games that are you know, that there's certain expectation, and for Asmodee to try and change that expectation, I think one of the worst things about it is their their solution is take the whole game back to right. where you bought the game. The environmental impact of basically returning and probably trashing an entire game, game because of one die that's not there is ridiculous. Yeah. The difficulty for the small game, your friendly local game stores. Exactly. That suddenly the onus is on them to do and this the, whole return and policy. The, the other thing is receipts. I never keep paper receipts. No. Now, I, now I have to keep paper receipts. Yes. Yes. Because that's all game empire gives out. Yeah. And guess what? For you and Maddie, who who buy games, play them for a little bit, and then sell them to somebody else. Right. Hey, if something's missing from there, good luck. I You're know. done. Well, I guess with that though, you wouldn't sell the game if it was missing a piece. So well, that's not I, really. True. I just did, but I refunded them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's always when I sell a game and someone comes back and says there's pieces missing. The immediate response, I always refund and then look for the pieces. Right. At the heart of it. I read Asmodee's post this way. I read it as we make a ton of games because literally they say here that their their explanation is that with the number of quality titles in Asmodee's USA growing library, maintaining an independent stock of elements for each game becomes more difficult. We believe offering the customer service through the store that they have purchased the game from will be a better experience. What that is is that Look, we make a ton of games, okay? We can't keep track of everything. Sometimes but you're not... why can't they, like, 3D print them? They could. They could. There's so many ways you can, you can solve this problem. Not to mention... First of all, solve it with quality control. Right. Solve it with the, that your... 1% of games that go out do not have a, have a broken or incorrect uh, experience, right? right? That's what uh, Stockmire was talking about, that you don't... You don't make these miniatures that break as soon as you, you know, take them out of the box. Yeah, before you do that, you do the shake test. You right. Shake yeah. That, exactly. Shake that box up. See what see what works and see what doesn't. Yeah. Right? Um. That's number one. That's that's solution number one. Number two is spend two percent more per per game to make and ship a stock of the most exp- of the components, so you have a a bins that, right, of a bit, right. uh, of everything that you need to send out, which I believe they actually probably already do. They, they did are, that, but they got rid of the bins and the people. They're just trying it's to... It's a private equity firm. They're trying to make it... Uh, they're trying to put a... Damper. I'm going to say a hurdle between you and an easy return process. Right. And, easy, and, and it's not even a return process. It's a replacement process. It's, I need one little that? thing to make this game work. I have 197 games, and two of them are from Asmo. No, okay, my my Z Man is is Asmo D, yeah. but most of the games that I play and I buy are not Asmo D. I'm I'm, I will say this: given this situation, this, this policy, yeah. When an Asmo D comes up on the podcast, when we're talking about it in in the news, I'm probably going to put that disclaimer in. I'm right, probably going to exactly. say, hey. Listen, if you like this game, get it, but just beware if anything is broken yeah. or anything is missing, this is an Asmodee product and you should factor that into your decision. Right, and and particularly if it has a lot of parts. No, you know? like exactly. Like, isn't Twilight Imperium them? Uh, Fantasy Flight. 
Yeah, that's which the, is them. That's yes. them, and it has a ton of pieces. Absolutely. So, do you want to take that chance? A <laughs> uh, couple last things. The Slate magazine put out a wonderful, wonderful article. You should all check it out. Called "Doctor Drunkenstein's Reign of Terror." It is about the number one ranked uh, chess player in the world today, Magnus Carlsen, who we find out has been basically trolling in the online speed tournaments. He's been going under pseudonyms like Dr. Drunkenstein <laughs> and has been just wiping the floor with people playing uh, speed chess, but he's not doing it in a way where he's just trolling them and destroying them. Right. What he's doing is he's playing very suboptimal games to get the board state into these really unique and different areas oh, and sort of to he's toying with people and he's it's coming from it seems to be the article is talking about it though that it's coming from a place of joy like pure joy uh -huh. of the game like right like oh you know what i'm gonna do 10 suboptimal things probably still win the game but i just want to explore the space what this looks like yeah, yeah. sure there is a uh you know, they're calling him the Mozart of chess because he, you know, it, when you think of Tom Holson in Amadeus and how he's just this wacky, wacky guy. I never saw the movie, you guys. Oh, you should see it. It's wonderful. <laughs> it really is great. Um, there are these moves or these positions. There's a position called Zugzwang, which is a position in which when you get the board into that state, any move a player can make is going to weaken your position. Like it's a, it's a balanced position where everybody is strong and whoever has to move next is weakening their position. And it's a position that people put into instructional books, but never happens in real life. Well, guess uh, what? He's playing the game in such a way that he that, puts the board wow. into that state. Um, if you want to read about somebody that is a master of his game and truly enjoys it as a game, Check out this article. I think I think it brought a smile to my face. I think it'll bring a smile to yours. Speaking of smile to your face, I just I can't I can't not talk about this as the last point of the news. A GOP state senator in Wisconsin, I believe, yes, has announced that he wants legislative pages in the state house to stop playing secret Hitler at work. I know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's complaining about legislative pages using work time to play a game that fist, uh, that pits fascists against liberals trying to root out a secret Hitler. And some games swap the Hitler character for Donald Trump and, uh, and Mike Pence and so on and so forth. Um, so he should try Black Orchestra. Uh, yes. No kidding, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Or let's go farther. Escape from Colditz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Senator Steve Nass complained to his Senate GOP colleagues that full-time and part-time staffers have been playing secret Hitler. And uh, <laughs> he felt, uh, I don't know, did he feel that it was a little close to home? Or <laughs> Yeah, really? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you can, you can look it up at madison.com, which is, I guess, for, uh, for Wisconsin, is their, is their go-to site for information. You can check out that article. It's a fun little thing just I to say that, that, yeah, that, that uh, listen, there's, there's all kinds of subversion that can happen in the world, and sometimes yeah. games can be subversive. Well, but now did you see the Anti-Defamation League in Australia? Didn't you talk about we that? We talked about that last yeah. week, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, which is one of those things that, that I'm, it is tough for me. I'm not Jewish, so how do I tell a person if they're overreacting? I can't really. I don't know. I think I know, like, just like me, I, I'm not white. Right. And I'm not Jewish or anything, but I think we have the ability to empathize. 
empathize. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, I understand what they're saying, but at the same time, as you being a creative know that a lot of this can really reduce the creative space. Yeah. Daniel Tosh does a joke in one of his comedy specials where he, he does a joke that's sort of at the expense of a marginalized group to some degree, and it gets applause and it gets laughter, and he says, all right, that's the right response to that joke. If it gets too big, if I start hearing a yeehaw in the audience, I shut it down. <laughs> right, <laughs> Because exactly. you, are, you are getting way too excited right. about this joke. What I'm doing is I'm doing a mean joke. Right. But as long as you're not, you know, as right. long as it is a big thing. So Empathetic. I th- exactly. And I think Secret Hitler, I could potentially see playing it with the wrong crowd and Ugh. seeing them get excited about the game right. for the wrong reasons. Right. I would be like, oh, MAGA um, people. shut it down. Yeah. You, shut it down. You, in fact, you wouldn't even play that game with MAGA people. No, I I don't I don't like the game. Period. So right, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't play it anyway. But I, I I know that the game is designed to be a critique of fascism. It's supposed to be an attack right, on fascism. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And because of that, when we talked about it last week, we were talking about it in those terms. That that um, the the uh, the organization in Australia that was trying to shut the game down, I think, might have been missing out the missing out on the fact that yeah. it was actually. Uh, it was it was on their side. The game was on their side. Right, exactly. And they should try it. And or they should try Black o- Orchestra. They probably like Black Orchestra. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the news. <laughs> Let's talk about games on the brain real quick. And whenever we do about that, we got to hear somebody's beautiful, beautiful singing voice. Games, <laughs> games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games to Jennifer took off her headphones for that, which was a very wise decision. <laughs> um, for me, what's uh, on my brain are two games that are a little bit outside of the normal game range. One is our weight loss challenge. We have a game that we're going on in terms of trying to lose weight. Uh, let's see. Matt is very close to his goal. He's, he's within a few pounds, so he's almost there. Uh, Jake is looking really good. Congratulations. Paul is in great shape right now. But he looks like he's going to make the goal. Well, but here's the thing. He's coming to L.A. for a week. Ah. He is going to be in L.A. for a week starting maybe today. And uh, he's a little worried. When he comes to L.A., he's going to be hanging out with friends and he's going to be going out to places. And he knows he, he's got this town wired. He is a foodie that is a Los Angeles genius. When he lived in Australia, he lived in Alice Springs and he wrote, most people don't know this, Paul Satachet wrote a foodie guide to the city of Perth, Australia. Really? Called Paul Eats. It, there's this little there's this little logo for Paul Eats. Uh-huh. And I think restaurants in Perth still have the sticker really? up cool, saying this is a cool. Paul Eats recommended spot. Right, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. That, so the danger is Paul is going to be, you know, toward the end of his weight loss challenge, going to be in Los Angeles. And uh, he might not lose any weight while he's here. We'll see. We'll see. I will say Trey and I are not doing as well. Well, I have a suggestion for you that I read. Okay. Okay, so this this man was overweight. Mm-hmm. So he gave his son $25,000, and he said, if in six months I haven't lost 20 pounds, it's yours. 
Yes. I talk about that in terms of writing. I do a, a writing workshop called Superdraft, and I talk about you have to have a deadline and you have to have consequences. And the consequences, there is no such thing as a consequence that is not painful. Right. So and $25,000 was painful for oh, him. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. And so... The, the, Do you have $25,000 I can borrow? I, I I would have to call to... Can I get another $25,000 loan on my <laughs> house? But I, I'll be honest with you. If I can't succeed this time, I may do it with my kid. Because um, I can't have this weight; it's driving me completely crazy, and I've got to get rid of it. And the it's a studies, longevity issue, right? Oh, well, and it's for him. The studies have shown, though, consistently that when you have skin in the game like that, yep. you're far more likely to succeed at your your uh, goals. That's why we're doing this, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we each have two hundred dollars on the on the line, which you know may not be a ton, but it, it's yeah, enough. If you if you each had twenty five thousand, I bet all of, all of y'all would lose that weight. Well, okay, so, but here's the psychology of us, okay? <laughs> it's not about the $200. Like I don't I don't care about the $200. What I care what I care very much about is Maddie to meet his weight goal and me to not meet my weight goal and have to hear it from him for for how for, well, well, forever. For I will tell him every time he, he sees you, still fat, huh? I mean, exactly. Tom is That's not that, exactly no. what but, I'm telling you. It, the the social pressure of this game between us and the fact that we can rib each other for for infinitely right. if we don't meet this goal is the is the real social pressure. That's the right. real that's the real consequence and of the see, game. I don't have that because you know, but I don't know if you know this, but eighty percent of black women are overweight or obese. It's a Is that right? I didn't know that. It's a social thing for us so there's always a place to go where no one talks about you oh wow interesting yeah yeah so interesting um yeah so putting down you know calling up the credit union and getting a twenty five thousand dollar loan against the house and then giving it to my son maybe it's what you need to do i know but i hope not so we're gonna yeah, see yeah. we're let's, gonna see let's do it step by step and and that that'll be the the, the ultimate if i can't do anything else right <laughs> Uh, and the second thing is diplomacy is the other game on my brain. We played a test game of diplomacy to get everybody acclimated right. to uh -huh. how it works and to the rules and to the website. What poor and person stuff. had to pay, play Italy? Me. Good, good. The yeah. strongest player should always play Italy, in my opinion. Well, in this case, it wasn't. I'm not the strongest player playing. Who is better than you? <laughs> You're so sweet. Uh, Trey's a very good diplomacy player. Let's 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 face okay. it. He is All very right. then, good at this. Then, then give him turkey. Plus, realize this. Diplomacy is a game in which your table presence right. is a big factor. Right. And people like to, like, I'm not going to make a good diplomacy deal with people if they know they're playing against me. They're going to be, right, they're going to be nickel and right. diming me. But at the same time, the geography does matter. It does. No, very much so. Right. Very much so. It's crucial. Right. And so and, that's and, why I'm saying, so if you and Trey are the best, well, you guys shouldn't get France and Russia, for example. Well, what we did was we did blind. We we don't know who oh. we're going to, we don't know which country uh. we're going to get, and we don't know who each other person is is and right the, of course and the most fun thing about playing this test game besides just people learning the rules and stuff like that was sending out communiques and sending them out in a way that i don't want people to know exactly who i am oh, right. so trey 
his initial communication was so baroque and so lavish, like greetings from Tsar Nicholas II, the king of this and the but that and the this and that and that and so on and so forth, that immediately everyone thought he was me. <laughs> right? So people thought, okay, I know who that is. And I said, at the end of this this little practice game that we're gonna do, which is not very long, just a couple of rounds, I want everyone to guess who was which country and try and figure it out. Try and figure out who was which country and put in your guesses. And because of that, because people people had this th- thought that like, okay, well that, I think I think uh, Germany is definitely Jesse. That's pretty, we're pretty sure about yeah, that. Yeah, the only thing is like, I'm concerned because I I have mom syndrome. Yep. I'm concerned about Eric in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, uh, Eric got one correct. No, but what I'm saying is, that did everybody guess it was him? Which one? No, did everybody guess what country Eric had? No, they didn't. Okay, good. Okay. They didn't. Uh, Matt said, dead on, 100% luck. I got all of these right. I know who everybody is in the game. Did he? He got zero. <laughs> <laughs> Not a one. Not a one. Okay. Um, the... Uh, Eric and, um, let's see, who was it? Paul got one right. Uh-huh. And the only person who did great was Trey. Trey got them all. He, he oh, because he knew he was, he wasn't you, right? He, yeah. he knew that he wasn't me. Right. And so his, his math was able to be much more. Now, there were a couple guesses he had to do, but they were 50-50. It's like either this person is this or that. And it's one, one or the other. Um, and he nailed it. He got all of them right. But it was hilarious having people put in their guesses. So and when their, does the new game start? I think we're going to start it pretty soon. Um, Alfred's work schedule in Boston is such that he probably won't be able to continue. So we'll probably find uh, a person to to replace uh, Alfred. Uh, yeah, Jennifer is is holding <laughs> her uh, hands over her face right now. Jennifer... <laughs> I, if you recall, I said, I believe I may even said on the podcast, but I definitely said to you, we're going to be starting up a diplomacy game. And you said, without me. Right. That's, <laughs> that, I mean, you know, because because I live with someone that's such an, a tactical expert, I would just be asking him all the time. And that's not fun. No, no, no. no. Any games on your brain right now? Um, on Mars, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had the experience of teaching it. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, and to two different types of people. Good. But actually, it's not really a type. You know, I, you know, I'm, I, in the last couple of years, I've worked at not labeling people. So I know that you say there are audio or whatever, and I'm trying for me mm-hmm. not to do that and to just experience a person, sure, you know, as they are talking. And so the one of the one of the people um, was really kind of intense, you know, like okay, well, I mm-hmm. this is what this is, and I, I really want to know what this is, and that, and so you kind of go with that, right? Sure. And so she's like, okay, well. Um, at the end of the teach, I know I'm going to want to read the rules. So I'm like, okay, well, that's fine as long as you don't grab the rules from me while I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and after the teach, she never touched the rules. And by the way, that means she is a visual or she's a reading learner. She's a... Uh, See, I bet who cares about the label? I don't care well, about it. it. It's it's helpful if it's helpful. 
Yeah, but and it's not helpful if it's not helpful. Right. But I mean, for me, I want to try to stay in the moment. Sure. And try to stay with that person. She's a very, you know, she's very um, outgoing. I really like her. Um, yeah. For me, for just, me, the, the label of it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but for me, the, the label of it is only important if it gives me a window into how to help that person understand the game better. If it's, if it doesn't, then there's yeah, no but point see, in it. It doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, she is who she is no, with the label or without it. Sure. sure. And so you see what I mean? So I get, and, I get where and, you're coming from. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And then yeah. the other player, he had already read the rules. Got it. And so it, you know, it was easier. And sometimes he had questions sure. and also I've taught him a number of games. So he was used to the way I teach and I'd never played with her before. So, got it, you got know. It. That's, so, that's, that's a challenge because you're, right. you're teaching the two very different people. Right, pe- pe- exactly. from and very different so places. It went smoothly. See, I like, you know, I worked at JPL for almost 30 years and my dad worked there for 35 years mm-hmm. before I worked there. Well, share time. But to me, on Mars is more of the NASA experience and what they anticipate doing in the future uh-huh yeah and so the theme worked way better for me than terraforming mars you know um, well it's less science fiction it's closer to science fact a little right bit. yeah because you know i mean that's what they're probably going to do they're going to put bots on the surface sure they're going to have rovers yeah they're going to have an orbital station yep that's monitoring everything and that's trying possibly to- on phobos Right, exactly, and trying to um, to get information and manage and get those advanced buildings up. I mean, all See, of that. I, I love High Frontier, so I'm way into what you're talking about, which is like way more NASA than... <sighs> well, but it's too complicated, and it's like... Oh. I love it. Okay, well, that's I, good, I, though. I, absolutely. My son and I play it fairly frequently, and good, we just... Good, good, good. No, so, so when I play it, I just feel more like I'm role-playing almost. Yeah. You know, instead of, you know... Pushing pieces. That's an awesome way to approach on Mars. Yeah. Because it's a game that can be, it's daunting to get to a place where you can play it like a role-playing game. Right. But that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And so um, the only the only little hiccup, oh, there were more. He at first, um, Vital at first talked about the unmanned missions. And I said, NASA does not use unmanned that's not the, the phrase. Right. They yes. use robotic. Yes. And Vital changed it. Nice. Yeah, I know. And I was like, yeah. Because honestly, NASA does not use unmanned. Pentagon does. Um, and then the, other, the only other little hiccup is that he did have astronauts managing. Mm. Astronauts don't manage. There would be a project manager. Uh, sure, uh, sure. Headquarters project manager. Yeah. But everything Some else. Some suit in Houston. Yeah, well, not Houston, uh, D.C. Right. Um, so everything else was, I thought, really thematic, and it it really helped me, you know, enjoy the game. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, our update on the 8x8 challenge is that we did nothing to... Sad. Prefer- yeah, we did wider, not deeper today. Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll get to it. Yeah. Let's get to it. I can't wait. The uh, review. Of 1862. 1862 Railway Mania in the Eastern Counties. It is designed by Mike Hutton. And the art is also by Mike Hutton and and Roger McGowan. It is a GMT Games uh, published title, and it is from 2019. 
Jennifer, you are you are my Sherpa through this world. Can you? So I think that a lot of our audience are Euro gamers that are getting into the medium to heavier end right. of the Euro game scale. Can you tell us what is when we say eighteen xx? What are the salient features that make something eighteen xx besides the title? Right, of course. Well, the main thing is you have, okay, and again, I have not played all 18XXs. I've played five, and I've played a few a lot of times. Do you want to Do you want to know my history of 18XX? Because I probably should start with that. I yeah. should say that I've played 1830 probably eight, ten times. Um, 1856, I've probably played five times. 1870, a couple times. Uh, 1825 I played a, a couple times back in the day um, and then everything else is just very very recent and not not a lot of plays right 79 46 and 62 you are going to be hearing a lot of numbers that mean something to Jennifer and I and mean nothing, well, I'm gonna and mean nothing to, to a hey, lot of people I've- but d- d- let's just say this each 18xx game is a train game and every one of them has its own special character it has a different map but a lot of times they have different rules and different yeah. and different feeling in terms right. of how the game is so it's think of it like you go into Baskin Robbins and you've got your 30 flavors of ice cream each one they're still all ice cream but they all have their own specific little flavor and people will have their own favorites and not just one favorite. It's like I might be in the mood for right. A versus B. Right, so I, right. I interrupted you. Continue. Okay, so, you know, the basics generally is that there's a stock round and then there's an operating round. Um, that you are an investor and that you invest in companies. The companies. Treasury is always separate from yours. You don't mix your money with the treasury during the operation. Which, which means that the money that is a lot of the money that's in the game is a company's money and right. not your personal exactly. money. But at the end of the but the end of the day, right? It, personal money is how you right. win. Exactly. And um, the main well, I would argue that that's very different. Okay. In euros, in euros, your money is your money, and that's all there is. Sure, yeah. And in eighteen XX, that is very, very different. It's very, very key to how you play the game. So, in the operating rounds, you know, you're going to lay track, run trains, get revenue, decide what to do with it. If you put down station tokens yeah, right. occasionally, right? Yeah, and you're building out your you're building out the route, and you're running trains. You're you're operating the train company that you, right. that. You you are and, running. And you're deciding, do I want to pay out dividends or do I want to put the money back into the the company so that the company can, can get better? Which in 18xx terminology we call? Well, some of us, it turns out, call plowing. But that Not was, everyone calls it plowing? Uh, didn't you see the link I, I posted on the Discord? No, I missed it. Yeah, well, so I asked on BGG. Mm, right? Right. Does it, it's plowing something different? Well, the expert of expert, Clearclaw, okay. uses plowing. 
JC Clearclaw knows everything about this game. Right, exactly. He's, you know, so I'm like, look, if, if he uses it, I can use it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, because there's a lot of lingo, I think. Oh, there's there's so much. It is such its own little hobby yeah, within the hobby. Right, that exactly. it's got all sorts of terminology and little right, inside lingo. Exactly. and Like two each so, and XX players, when, they're when one is describing to another how the new game is. right. They will speak in a foreign tongue. Though. Exactly. But then that's always, you know, I mean, it's just like us in the hobby. We speak in foreign tongues, right? Oh, so yeah. So basically then, there are two basic styles of 18xx. Mm -hmm. um, there is a style, 1830, 1817, are both um, stock games where you do a lot of stock manip manipulation and you try to win through sometimes crushing the other player in the stock market yep. or, you know, um, to, to describe how it would work is you're building up a company. Somebody else is buying shares in that train company because they see that you're doing well and they want to profit from it as well. Yeah. And then you turn around, you sell the trains to another company and you sell all of your shares and leave that other person holding the bag. And suddenly they have a company that is not financially viable and is going to destroy them. Right. Well, in 17, you can even short yes stocks so yes. you know again a lot of stock manipulation in those games i don't tend to care for those types as much basically because i don't like doing all the math mm -hmm. there's a lot of math if oh, you've yeah. done that particularly in 17 in my opinion sure um uh and then there's operational games and so you would call 62 as an operational game yeah 48 uh, 46 46 um, rather yes. yeah 22 yep. 22's a little bit on the more in the stock market but it's basically it's a pretty good mix is what i've heard yeah. i've never played 22 oh, but i hear it's, it's i hear it's, it's it's a great combination it of is. the two i just love that game that that's my number one um you know, so I tend to play the operational games. Also, tend to feel more Euro-like. Yes. You know, yes. and so, and a little more calm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you aren't like your blood pressure doesn't go way up when you get these these trash companies. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you know, also for me, thirty became very scripted. I mean, but that's because I played it so much, and you could just okay, you do this, you do that, you do this. I mean, assuming, depending on the company you were able to actually get. So I don't play 30 anymore. I still have it because people sometimes, oh, we want to play the original. It's still a classic, but it's it's, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it's a little scripted now. You yeah. know, everybody yeah. knows what everything right. is. Right. But I, I think that the, uh, listen, at the end of an 18xx game, you have a certain amount of personal cash and you have shares of companies, sometimes many companies. And all of those share prices have gone up or gone down or been wherever they've been. Uh, the better that train has operated, the better that company's, company has, companies operated the trains. Ha has operated their trains, the higher that stock value is. And you turn in all of those shares and earn money based on what that final share price is. The total of that plus the personal money that you have at the end of the game is your final score. And the person with the most money wins. Right. So... In, in a lot of ways, I love Age of Steam. One of the things I love about Age of Steam is that it gives you an 18xx experience in a very Euro way. I would disagree with that, but that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. I, um, in comparison to most um, games that came before it, it felt very much the, the operation 
of the trains in that game mm. felt uh, uh, felt very much. <laughs> it is a brutal economic engine right. no, game. I, look, by the way, I love Age of Steam, yeah. but Age of Steam is basically on what we call the checks branch of train games. The checks branch? Mm-hmm. What is that? Chicago Express. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, Harry Wu, quote unquote. <laughs> so, you know, for for some of, of us that have been a long time in the, in the hobby, there's the 18XX branch, there's the checks branch. There's a lot of games that, that descend from Chicago Express. And, sure, and, sure. Yeah, and they just steamed that whole family. And then there's... A, Wait, Age of Steam came out before Chicago Express, didn't it? Uh, I'm not sure because they share a lot. I'm pretty sure Age of Steam came first. But. Uh, yeah, except he didn't say Harry Wu made Age of Steam. No, it didn't. That was exciting. We'll have to talk about that one day. Oh, but, we've talked about it a lot on the oh, podcast. Ha, so. Oh, have you? Yeah, that was that was really exciting. The name John Borer has come up many times. Ah, uh, yes. He was a horrible. He is not a good person. I'm sorry. I'll say it publicly. Say it. Yeah, so at, yeah, so at any rate, so 1862 falls definitely into the operational style. Yes. of a so plan. I let me w- if it's okay, what I want to do is I want to say as a person that is much more of a euro player and much less of an 18x player, I'm getting into 18xx. Right. Here are the barriers to entry for 18xx for a euro player. Number 1 is you have to make some very, very super important decisions right off the bat at the beginning of the game that are opaque, that it is not possible to see in your first, sometimes in your first 10 plays. But I will say this, guys. Tom explains what you can do. Tom does a great job at that. Right. But I'm talking about 18xx in general, not so much, not so much 62. The, there are a lot of 18xx games that have things called private companies. These are small little companies that give little advantages on the board. And they are all bid for, almost always, most of the time, they're bid for in an auction. And for a beginner player that has never played that before and is used to Euro games, I'm looking at these eight different companies that we're going to be bidding on, and I have no idea how to value right, them. Right. How, how do I value um, them? Yeah. And when I get one, how do I know which train company I should buy yeah. that's going to synergize with that? It is very, very opaque. It is very, very difficult to play. And your first time through, you're just lost. Well, the other problem is in 30, they are completely unbalanced. Yes. And the price that's on the private does not reflect its value. There are there are ones that are almost useless. There are ones that are absolutely <laughs> crucial. And the price differential does not even appear uh, on there. Well, that yeah, you have, I mean, you, that... There are that, some that get bid up way high. Yeah, that is definitely a failure, in my opinion, of that game, is that the one company, which I won't spoil it, sure. um, is not priced properly. And so, you know, you don't know that you're really supposed to pay, you know, three times as much exactly. for that for that private. And I, I think the later... Um, the later... 18xxs have dealt with the private issue and the unbalance much better than the early ones. They're getting better. They're certainly getting better. But I'll say even 1846 has got those privates. Now, the privates are more balanced. And, though, the other thing is you don't bid on them. Yes, you do. You go through. You get... 
you draft them. Oh, you draft them. You draft them. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, sorry. Whoa. I beg your pardon. You don't bid on them. You draft them. But that's not better. It, I would argue you're probably, still making a you're still making a very very hard choice that is completely opaque to you. Yeah, but I would argue that it's a simpler choice. It is. That's true. And that you can't make a as bad a choice as you can make in thirty. See, I don't agree with that. Here's I, here's okay. why. Here's why. I get four privates in my hand to draft in 1846. Right. Yeah. One of them is better than the other three. Right. I have no idea which one that is. Yeah, but see, at the... Okay, Just, go let, ahead. Let me finish. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to say sorry. <laughs> um, but if I'm playing 1830... Yeah. And that one that's better than the other ones comes yeah. up, you're bidding five. The next guy's bidding 10. I'm like, hey, I've got a little window. I realize, ah... People that know what they're doing, doing say it. that this is valuable. So I have a better clue based on the bidding that this is something that I should go for than I do when it's just in my hand and no one can see these cards but me and and I have to choose completely blindly with no, no. input. The problem is there's a group here in L.A. that would take you and just, oh, that that guy has no clue what he's doing, so we'll just make him pay five hundred for it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. No, yeah. so I would That's argue true. in in forty six, the impact of your private decision is not nearly as big as the impact in thirty. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, but, so, and, okay. and mostly it's because of how imbalanced the privates are more than more than anything else. Right. I think so, that's absolutely so true. So you can recover. But still but but still my point is is that there is an opacity in the beginning yeah, of the that, of the see, game that is difficult. You know, uh, you know, um as I go through the 1862 review, sure. and as I do the end of it, if I can get there, um, oh, oh, we'll get there. But we got We got some. We got some. We got some track to lay. We have some track to <laughs> before lay. we can before we can get there. I'll say the the other thing is that there is an opaqueness in terms of the companies in a lot of these 18xx games. The when you get this company. If you played the game before, you know, oh, this is where you run this company. This is kind of what you want to do with this with this company. There there are preferred track lays. There are expected places to go and things I like that. I agree with that, but I'm puzzled. Why are you puzzled? Because 62 has the same thing. Less so. Definitely no, less so. No. Because it's such a crowded board because there are so many companies because the four companies that don't come out in a particular game. I'm not by the way, I'm not saying what what I'm describing is a criticism I have of 18xx from a from a new player's perspective. I'm not no, saying no, that I know I'm that, not saying that 1862 I'm, does not fall into some of these. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm that. saying that as a, someone who's taught probably yeah. you know dozens of people. Yeah, you know all of them. Well, not all of them. I've only taught 30 and 46 and 62. Mm-hmm. Those are the only three that, that I'll teach to an, a brand new player to 18xx. Sure, and only 30 because they insist on it. Um, normally right. my teaching game is actually 46. I think 46 is a very good teaching game. I, I really like this one as a teaching game too. Uh, the third thing that can sometimes be a, a hurdle to getting into these games for, for Eurogamer is the meanness of the stock market. The, what you were saying, the, the stock-based games are very are, brutal, are really games where you can just, you can can't even see it as a as an early player. No, there is no way. Do you know that um, on on Twitter, mm-hmm. Clear Claw said it took him a hundred plays of eighteen XX to really understand the game. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I have another friend and he's like, but because he wanted to play 30, I'm like, look, the, your first play, you're going to lose. What? How could you say that I'm going to lose? And you're like, because there's no way, right? Yes. And that's one thing, Euro players, there's just no way to see the train rush. Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. The train rush being that people, when you buy trains, eventually you get to a point where when you buy the first train of this category, the early trains rust and they die. Now, what does rust mean? Rust means those trains are removed from the game and you no longer have access to those trains. If your rail company had only those trains, you have no trains. You are and, not allowed to have no trains as a company in the game. the trains run before you can buy a train. Yes, they do. So if you have no trains, that means you have nothing. No dividends, no revenue, no plowing, nothing. No way of making money, and your company is about to go bankrupt in all those shares that you bought. You're basically out of the game. And that happens in 18xx. That is something that can happen. The more operationally based the game is, the less often that happens. Well, the problem, that, or we can talk about this. Sure. Right? If you think this is a problem, in 62, you can't go bankrupt. Yes. Okay, but at the same time, you still lost. Yes. So you could say that 30 is better because at least you lose faster. <laughs> and you aren't stuck in a three-hour, four-hour game. I think there's a different, different feeling from being bankrupted and and dropping out of the game entirely, well, the game's and simply over. and simply finishing in in with not so much money. I think there is a there is a qualitative difference in the feeling uh, that 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 provides to you. Yeah, uh, I think it so. Pl- player on elimination. The we say the Euro games when they came out uh, took player elimination off the table to some degree right. as opposed to games that happened right. before that. Exactly. And that is mostly a good thing. Right. Except I, what you're saying is right that you can be completely out of it and have to sit there and keep playing the game and right. that's that's a but suboptimal see, the, experience the too. The whole thing about being elimination being better mm-hmm. is depends on the length of the game. Mm-hmm. So if you're in if you're playing 1862 and that's a 4-hour game and you're in receivership in the in the first 90 minutes, yep. you know, you would rather I'm, I know a lot of players would rather be eliminated. That's possible, definitely true. Because it's so long. Do you understand? It's, yes, it, no, I agree. Yeah. It, it's it's a haul. It's a it's a 4-hour game or more or more or less depending on how experienced you are. So Given what what I just said about the three things for me that were the, the opacity of the private companies, yeah. the difficulty in determining where your train is supposed to go, and the meanness of the stock market as being three of the main things that are barriers to entry, 1862 is actually a pretty good game to start people off on if they come from a Euro background, I believe. And I, and I would argue that you can do it. I'm not saying that sure. it, that it's a bad idea. I think 46 is better. Right. For but, me for but, me what I'm saying is that that 60 oh, so so let's get into why I think 62 is good and then you can say why you think it's it's not as good. As good. Right. Um it is a very crowded board, which is a good thing. Every space on the board has either a town or a city on it. Every single one, mm-hmm. which means when you're building track, you're always you're you're. It feels very much like um, it feels very much like Age of Steam. You're, it feels very much like other tiling games where you're not building these long tiles that 
that don't connect to anything. Like 30, yeah. Exactly. Every tile is going through something important and every decision you make is hurting or harming or helping somebody. So it's a very tactical decision that Eurogamers are used to. They're used to that kind of of track building. Uh, Second thing that's important is that there are three different company types in the game. Train, do you mean? No, company uh, um, charters. Oh, right. Okay. Which, no. is, which is trained. I thought it was two. It was Parliament and... No, 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 no. Oh, no, that's no, not no, what no, you're no. speaking of. I'm talking about local trains. Okay, you're talking about you're, the trains. The company that you, that you start is either running local trains or it's running express trains or it's running freight trains, and they operate differently. And that's where, that's where my problem comes in. See, see, I think that that is that is that is the kind of nuance that Eurogamers will understand. Except that, guys, one Eurogamer failed to explain it, which is ex- exactly making my point. Um, I explained most of the things. I forgot one. <laughs> I forgot one thing <laughs> about that. Except it was kind of important. Uh, I believe you were in that game for two hours and didn't notice that that wasn't happening. I did not. I all I hey, you know what, guys? I know how to, how to invest. So it's like okay, well, this is running for uh, two hundred and twenty of of revenue, so I'm buying that. I'm not even paying attention. Was I supposed to be teaching? No, no that because, was me. Because he won't let me teach. He, he says I'm a terrible teacher, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Terrible teacher. Never said terrible. <laughs> teacher that was not what i said so, so let's, let's up it. to so, the issue there are there are towns and there are cities on the map there are also off-board areas there are ports right. and there are the red areas which basically connect to the city of london or far off places when you are building a train route you are trying to maximize your revenue your cities are worth uh, $20 every time you pass through a city. Ports can sometimes be worth 40 70 even 100 depending on what point in the game you are. London in this map is worth a lot. It starts off being worth 100 and can get all the way up to 200 So building track that are going to allow you to buy trains that connect to these points, that's how much money your train is making. If my train goes from London, which is worth 100, and connects through a city, which is worth 40, and connects through another city, which is worth 20, and then goes to a port, which is worth 70, I add up all of those values, and that is how much that that company is going to earn in a round. And then it's going to pay out that every share is worth 10% of that. So it's going to get a payout of, of, of one-tenth of that. That's basically the math of it. With this game, though, there are three different types of train companies, right? The local train company cannot deliver to London. It cannot deliver to a port. It can only go to the cities and towns within it. Now, towns, nothing else scores towns. So there are these little dits. There are these little dots on the board. And local trains, the benefit of local trains is they earn 20 bucks every little town that they go through. And towns do not count as one of the spaces that they're going through. It The spaces are invisible to it. So it could potentially leave a city go through three little town markers and then hit another city. And that counts as one space, basically. You can get a very cheap train that only goes one space distance and it's going to connect 
20 points for this, uh, 30 points well, for this it's city. it's two spaces, right? It goes to the first, the town space and then the correct. space. Correct, yes, yes, correct. Uh, but it's it's getting 30 for the city, 30 for the other city on the other end, and 20, 20, 20 for all of the little towns that it connects. So it, it could be very, very efficient. In addition, those local trains, they're going to get a $10 bonus for every hex that they go through as they travel. So they're getting a subsidy, basically. That can be very powerful in, in, in a game. Everyone else is focusing on getting to this port and getting to London. There is a game to be played where you're zigging right. while other people are zagging, which is very interesting. Express trains are more like the common trains that you have in most ETNXX games, which is they don't count those little towns at all. They can deliver to ports. They can deliver to cities out off the board, and they're counting up the cities in between. So that is the more vanilla way that that you go. Those trains are going to be aiming for whatever the big scoring places are, and they're going to be trying to connecting those. And then freight trains. Freight trains work on a hex system, which is radically different than everything else. Every time a train crosses a the edge of a hex and goes into another hex, that counts as a space for for freight trains. Freight trains get paid where they end and where they start. Basically, they they're going to connect from end to end, and they're going to they're going to score on both ends. And then in addition, they're going to score thirty bucks, twenty bucks, or thirty bucks, depending on whether or not they hit a port for every hex that they cross. And that's how they score, which creates a really interesting, from a Euro gamer's perspective, going into 18xx, what I like about it is I have a puzzle and I can see and understand how the puzzle works. It's like, oh, a freight train would work best if it went from here to here. That's a really good freight train run. That would be a horrible run for a local train to do. That is a okay, but not great place for an express train to go. Right, and each one of them has their own particular. You're building track differently depending on which train type that you're running. Okay, so I find freight trains to be extremely confusing. It's and, it is difficult, and the table found them to be confusing as well. Well, because I taught it incorrectly. No, but even, which we're bringing even, up for the second time. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not. I okay. Even had you had you taught it correctly. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem is it doesn't run on track and people are expecting it to run on track. And so... Well, it does, it does run on track. No, it has it to doesn't. follow, it has to follow the track. Right? It, it follows the hexes, as you just said. But if, but you can't move from one hex to another with a freight train if there's not a track that goes from right, that hex to another. Right, but it's still, do you see? Because... I know what you're saying. Okay, but good. It's not, okay, so... For but everybody it, just, else, what I'm saying is normally you, you know, like you have this idea of trains in the real world. And, and back in the day, the train, you know, the original steam trains and mm -hmm. they went from station to station and sometimes they went all around and all kinds of things. And so you can relate. Mm -hmm. Yes. The way that 62 implements freight trains is not like anything that you can relate to. Well, there are, there are some 18XXs that, that use hex trains, right? 
not that I've ever played. Okay, uh, I think there are. I just think, don't think. Okay, I know. I don't I, think we played them. Okay, so I'm just saying sure. that that feels very, very unintuitive. And every time I teach it, that is that freight trains always come up, and it's not just you. No, no, no. Okay, it's, it, it's, it's a it's a tricky, tricky thing. I right. I agree with that. I agree with that. I guess now it's still really good once you know 18xx. Sure, there is no issue with it. Sure. And so, but we're talking about the new player experience. Yeah, I guess what I like about it is that here are th- when you're buying a company, you're getting the following. You're getting a starting city. You're getting a place right. where you start on the map. So mm-hmm. you can look on the map and you can see where that is, and you can see, oh, it's positioned really well for this, not so well for that. Okay. And okay. all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. right? But in addition, in this game, you also start off with a train type. Uh-huh. And that tells you, oh, this train has to build track in a very different way than this train does or this train does. In a Euro, from a Eurogamer's perspective, I like the complexity and the interest of the map in that, in that sense. I agree with you that, that understanding how the three train types work is hard. But for me, it's, it's like explaining a Vital Lacerda game more than it is explaining 18xx. If I'm trying to teach a person 1846 and I'm trying to tell you here are the 10 private companies that we're going to be choosing, it's much and harder see, to understand but what that see, is. But see, again, you know, and I talked about, I okay, guys, I sent Tom an email about teaching. Yes. And I'm talking... Because the way I teach Mm -hmm. is to say that, look, people, we're not playing for lottery winnings. Yes. So you may lose. And so when you get your set of of, uh, privates in 46, Mm -hmm. just look at them and see what, what looks good and take that. Do you see? Versus having to explain, you know. And I'm talking only from the new player perspective, but having to explain freight trains and having everybody, well, is that, does that work? I mean, my experience has been just tons of questions over those trains and versus with 46, my experience has been, we, we get into it. We move on. Yeah. There is a frustration in 46, even if you know, oh, we're just playing to play. We're just playing to learn the game trying to pick things that I have no idea what they are and what but they it mean is tough. Because at the end of the day, even for the experienced player, I would say that's probably 10 to 15% of your points. And a lot of them go away. Yes, well, they eventually go away, right? Well, no, there's, a, there's one that does not. Yes. But again, it doesn't have the impact on the game that matters that much. So, you know, if you like mail, if you want to be a post post person, all, all, take the mail one. All the more reason why I don't think it's that great because it, because oh, it, no, it's, as a, pres- as it's presented as a as a it's the very first decision you make and it is consequential. Not much. Well, not not. Yeah, my po- my point is is much easier to explain. Yes, forty six is not a great eighteen xx overall. It has a lot of issues, but not so many for the new player. Yeah. is my assessment. I think it's a very good. I think it's a very good new player game. I think eighteen seventy nine is a pretty good new player. I've game. I never played seventy nine. Yeah, it's it's very good. It is the stock version of the game. It's a stock game uh-huh. that is very stripped down and very uh-huh. elegant okay so yeah, i say maybe i will i will play that you one. should i think you, I, I think, think you might really like it but yeah i back think to f- with six- 62 mm-hmm. 
that, oh, now, of course, and, you know, uh, Tom and I, we always go for the, the full rules, but Mike Hutton does present an, a variant for new players that doesn't use all that special stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to play that game, though. Well, I but, get it. But the que- me and you don't want to play that game. Sure. But the question is, do we want to present the game to brand new players of 18XX? Maybe. Yeah, you maybe. see you see what I'm saying, that maybe we should consider that. But no, me, I mean, if you're going to really play 18 you're going to play with the full sure. flavor. I'm just saying that that might be a reasonable alternative. I agree. Let's 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 get back to 1862 and let's see what else we need to say. We say that we start the game by um, auctioning off shares. There's a parliament thing. Uh, right there. Okay, so there's a parliament at the start, which basically is a way to get um, companies into everybody's hands. Yes. Okay, and so because oh, that's one thing we should mention. Unlike some games, eighteen uh, XX, you are not winning without it. I mean, not eighteen, not all of them, but eighteen sixty two, you will not win without a company. Correct. Okay, you cannot win by just investing. You will not w- win that way. So um, there's a parliament at the start to get everybody a company. Right. A- and, and these so- companies are funded by the government, Right, exactly. And which is a good thing because we don't have a lot of money to start the right, game. exactly. And so getting a company where we buy a certain percentage of the shares, 50%, right. and, then the com- and then the government pays for the other 50%, right. we have a lot of money in the company, we can buy the trains we need, right. we can expand, we can do all the things we need to do. For, for new players or for even for experienced players, there is a good thing in that in oh, that in, in that in that starting off the game we're not already having to do the hard math and crunch the numbers and right. and, and have companies fail right off of the bat right. which can yeah. happen in most of the other 18xx games right and the other thing is you know you still have decisions though mm-hmm. because you can um, start your company with less money and you, sure. and you have more money to maybe invest in other companies. Which we did in the last right. game we played. Yeah, or you can give your company the maximum amount of money so that your company perhaps can last a little longer as we go through the operating rounds. Exactly. And in this game, you can also, later on generally... Uh, form a company that is not formed by the parliament. In other right. words, it is not subsidized by the government. These companies, you're going to have to put in a lot more money. But those companies, as their value goes up, more money is coming in. When people buy shares, they're buying them at those higher and higher price levels. You're getting more money in the company. You can buy more um, station tokens. Station tokens, very simply, are uh, cities have circles on them. And when those circles are covered by a station token, a train company that does not have that color station token can go to that city, but it cannot pass through that city. Well, so one thing too that we should mention that mm-hmm. I think is a negative for new players in sure. 62 is the fact that each company, like if you have two trains, which you almost always will, well, only one train can make revenue from any given given you know, city. And I, and that and makes it, again, confusing because now I have to remember which, particularly when, the, when when they get big, well, did I go through that one or not? And I think that that, I'll say this, I believe that that is a impediment to experienced 18xx players. I don't think that's a problem for new players. I, the, having experienced it, 
it's a problem. Well, okay. no, no, no. I think it's the problem is is that. Every other 18xx game doesn't do it that way. You can score the no. same city multiple times with multiple trains. No, the problem is, okay, so I've got a five and a six and a four. Okay, so that and I'm running the express. That means a train, a train that goes through, that connects through four cities, connects through, through five, five cities, cities and, and connects, connects through, through six, six cities. cities. I have to remember every city that the other ones all went through and you're telling me that that's not a problem? That's yeah. a problem. No, it's not a problem. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to defer to you because you know a lot more about 18XX than He's I do. He's actually going to defer to me. Absolutely, I'm going to defer to you. You are, you, are the, you are the veteran gamer. You are the pro. You know this way better than I do. So I'm going to accept that. No, I, right. And, and it's only because it just creates more more you know churn if we sure. can if we can call it that so now we, for we the experienced about- player it's actually very challenging and it's good sure i agree i agree i think it is i think it's no, i think definitely. it's pretty cool I, I i really yeah yeah no i'm i'm agreeing with you on the actual concept sure it's good and it's it's different so you buy your train company you invest your starting money and you get 50 percent of that company the other 50% comes from the government. You're going to the first round. You're going to lay a little bit of track and you're going to buy some trains. You're not even going to be able to run a train because you have to run them before you buy them. Next round, you're going to maybe buy some more shares in that train company. Maybe you're going to buy some shares in another train company because you see, ooh, look, they laid some really good track. That company looks like it's going to do uh, well. One more point about the stock buying. Sure. 1862 is one of the few 18XXXs where you can own 100% of the stock. That's correct. This, again, in my opinion, is not newbie-friendly. Um, I don't know. You're buying them one share at a time. I don't think that's that bad. No, but the problem is newbies don't realize what it really means. What does it really mean? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> if I Pretend can get, I'm a newbie. Because, right. I, because I might be, because I'm not sh- sure I'm seeing what you're saying. <laughs> okay, so... I, I'm, you know, been doing my stuff and now I have a permanent train mm-hmm. and I get a second permanent train. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm kind of getting this, this stuff and you're brand new and you have no idea. Why does she, why isn't she buying, you know, the stock of the, the, the company that's running for 250 right. and her company's only running for 170. So why does she keep buying that stock? I'm buying the 250. Right. And then at the end of the game, the person who was running for 170 is now running for 400 and gets all of the money. That's gotcha. a problem. No, yes. It's it's looking f- it's not looking at what the train is earning right now or what the company is earning right now, but what they might earn in the future. But the which, newbie can't know that. Which brings me to my next point, which I think is the, the last thing we need to explain about this game and the thing that for me vaults it into the stratosphere of how great the game is. It is a good game. I think that the coolest thing about the game is the merger system in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I said, you have invested money in this in this company, and the and the parliament has put the rest of the money into the company. You've bought trains, you've laid track, you're running these trains, you're earning this money. There comes a point where you're running out of things to do. You don't have a lot of money in your in your company anymore. It's paying out fine, but it's not it's it's not gonna pay out a lot more. Right. You can form another company, but you can also, if you have two companies, or if that, you that and another person have formed, a company, yeah. you can merge companies. When right. you merge companies, you are going to create one of these companies is gonna die, the other one is gonna live on. They're 
their markers are shared and their st- and their certificates are shared. So if I have their an ex- trains are shared. Yes. If I have an express train company and I have a freight train company, guess what? I now have an express and freight train company right. and it can run both kinds of trains. Right. And if I've built my track correctly, if I've done it well, there's synergy between those two. They can work really, really well. Yeah. Sometimes a local train company merging with a local train company. You mean with an express? Are you you're saying two locals? Possibly. Possibly. If the tr- if the track layout, if their if their station markers are in the right places, they could have all the, all of the towns on the board could be connected through one avenue. I understand that. I guess. Um, and it's less uh, yeah, common. It's less common. Yeah, because most times you want to diversify your your train portfolio. portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah. It, you by making a larger company uh, that has more than one type of train that can run on it, you're creating trains that have you're creating companies that have true explosive potential right. in the market that can do amazing, amazing things. Right. But you're fighting on this very small map and everybody is trying to find See, a way that, that connects. That's really funny because, I mean, I'm not, I agree with you. I just have never found the small, the smallness of the map to be significant. But I will look at it again. Really? Really, really. Did, haven't you and I, the, the, the last two times we played this game, ha- hasn't the most devastating moves been placing one station marker to lock off but, a place? But that happens in all of them. Yeah, but I guess for me, it's because there are no empty spaces on this map. Right, but everything see, has Everything has a place for a station marker to go. It makes more opportunities for a person to devastate somebody by placing one of those train markers and suddenly my train can no longer go from A right. to B. But see, it's, you know, at some point, you know, in time, I'll sit down with you and I'll show you why that's not as big a deal, in my opinion. In You're, my opinion. You know so much more about these games than I do. I'm dying to know this. Yeah, and why it doesn't really matter because we don't want to get into it. It's a, kind of a discussion right here. Sure. But maybe we'll get into it and then come back to you guys with the assessment. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, final, final thoughts on 1862. Where, where are you at? Okay, so I was fortunate enough to play with Mike Hutton, the designer, oh. and Yorin um, from Splatter Games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, intimidated is not a big enough word. To, to describe the way I felt, Yaron is a Yaron is a <laughs> is a notoriously brutal 1862 player. Right, right, no, right, exactly. So, do, do you want to be taught how you really play the game? Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, at any rate, 62 for me is definitely my number two favorite after 22, and the reason that I like it is because it's so transparent. You can see the companies that are coming and you can make plans. Okay, well, now I own this one, but this one over here is coming up. So I need to plan my funds 
mm-hmm. and look to see what the other funds are of the other players and what they think, what I think they're going to do mm-hmm. so that I can make plans that are much more likely to happen. Yep. And that's even like, hmm, well, I really wanted this company, but Tom is going to, Tom has priority. Yep. And he may take this company from me, so I need a plan B. You see, yep. and and I think yep. that sixty two does a great job with that, and I really like it for that. And that you can kind of, you know, the, even though the stocks aren't brutal, they're still very significant as you operate your 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 train. Yes. What you got? Okay, so the new players. What you don't want to do is be stuck with one one train company is in the northeast and the other one is in the southwest and they can't work together gotcha. you you know yes you, absolutely you, yeah you want them to be able to work together to be able to merge although fortunately they don't have to touch to merge unlike some companies yep that you know some some games that you do have to touch to um merge i think 22 is like that so you know for me again it's my second favorite i think as tom says yeah everything that he's saying is true i think we just have a disagreement on the new player experience the new friendliness yeah i'll talk from the new player perspective Yeah. yeah right because for example as a 18xx game i don't think 46 is that good unfortunately for 46 there are some dead companies and so you have to steer the newbie away from the no you don't want the b and no it sucks you know and so uh, that's the light blue in the bottom center yeah right yeah it's terrible tough one yeah yeah if you uh, have the if you have the mining company it's not terrible but uh, it's still, but not, it's still great. not good yeah I agree. no agree. so and i think 62's companies are much better balanced i'm not as afraid of a newbie taking a horrible company well because because randomly which which type of train each company runs is randomly dealt out each right. game there yeah. is no such thing as a great company or a bad company uh, it's going to be no that's not necessarily true because if you go into london at the end of the day, that is a positive over the companies that cannot reach london in my opinion well i will say but if those companies that are next to London get local charters, that becomes a significantly less valuable company until it's merged. Right, but when it's merged, you see? But but that company can't even put a token in London until it's merged. Well, then means, maybe you wouldn't take that. So there this is are, what I'm saying. What I'm saying oh, is, is that it is, what, it is what, situational. What you're saying, I'm sorry, what you're saying is that um, the local company next to London... At, it subtracts value from the nominal. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm right. saying that, that 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 how good that company really is is dependent not just on its location, which is the majority, which most 18xers uh, are. The, where the company starts and where right. it is, its geography is its destiny. Right. In this game, it's a little more complicated than well, that. Well, the other thing is, though, I think for the newbie, it's very hard to evaluate a, a freight company yeah, sure. what does that mean in the geographic term sure do you understand oh uh, totally let me tell you my final thoughts on on 1862 um from a newer 18x actors perspective and from right. a guy that is a little bit on the outside looking in i'm not a, a 18xx player but i'm becoming one um i think that there are uh, three games that are great if you are not an 18xx player and want to come in and play it 
I think 1846 is probably the simplest and clearest operational game right. to play. I think 1879 is a clear, simple, distilled uh, experience to understand the stock market type game of 18xx. And I do think that 1862 is harder. It is more of a rules teach. It is more of a rules explanation. There are more things you need to know. There are more things you need to understand. There are more things going on in the game. But I don't think, I think it's an easier teach than on Mars. I think it's an easier teach than... Uh, is it an easier teach? Oh, I think it is. No, I'm just trying to think. I'm sure, not, I'm, sure, I'm sure, not dis- sure. disagreeing with you. Um um, in a way, but I, in a way, it's not. Again, you still have that that problem with the freights. I think that the freights. I think that that if the freights is the problem in the teach, I think it's a, it's much more uh, surmountable than than a lot of the and a lot of the difficulties in understanding yeah. uh, on Mars. Yeah, and the problem for me is on on Mars feels very intuitive, mm-hmm. but that's because of my background. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, therefore, it that may, could be very different, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I will say this much, though: if you've seen The Martian, <laughs> the movie The Martian, which I've seen at least eight times, it helps a little bit. But the the interlocking mechanisms that that Vital is so good at are so on display here that understanding how any one thing works is entirely dependent on how it interacts with all of these other things. This game is much simpler in that sense. Right. There are there are a bunch of things XXs that I've played are much simpler than any Vital. I mean, of his heavy games, I've, I've not played his sure. his lighter ones, but I, I think just, that you know. I just think that that 1862 is a rich and dense experience, and it is dense in a way that is, I think, grokable to the heavier gamers in the in the Euro space. And I encourage no, I do too. I, I I'm people just to saying, jump in and try it. Yeah. And also, 46 apparently is out of print. Oh, is it now? Yeah. Oh. So then definitely go for 62. <laughs> we are running late, late, late. Oh, no. We're going to have to jump right into our member-specific segment. We're talking about changes this uh, this round. Oh, oh. And we are going to talk to Jennifer about changes. Jennifer, what in the realm of changes do you want to talk about? Well, what I was... what. I posted on my Facebook timeline was that I'm disappointed in the slowness of the board game publishing to address game, I mean, game themes in, in Euros, not the thematic side, sure. the Euro side of um, marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And that there are way too many games that are using um, European approaches. You know, we're going to these places for business. Like, Lestanz is like, well, you know, you're going to the new world for business opportunities. Now, what does that mean? Why are we still saying that in yeah. 2020? You know, I mean, what is, I, I just don't understand that. You know, you, uh, in, um, uh, gosh, is it Terramara? It's one of the games we're still doing the farmer and his wife. Why can't we do the wife and the wife? Why yeah. can't they be farmers, right? Well, it's, it feels like it's because publishers feel like oh, we're going to lose a sale. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, in the video game world, they've had gay characters since the original Sims yep. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. They have black characters. They have they have everybody. And we're still stuck with white people going to the new world for business opportunities. I just think that I want to see way more changes, even with Maracaibo, sure. which at least isn't, you know, so bl- blunt about it right you know you're still well but there's a whitewashing even even in not being blunt about it there is a whitewashing in what we don't talk about right right but now he does talk about it in the designer notes you know he does say you know we understand this but the whole concept of going to the new world because that's what europeans did Yes. You see, whereas uh, I have in my trunk right now, Blackout Hong Kong, you know, and that was completely different. An Asian dystopia, right? Yep. And that is not the Europeans coming in and doing blah, blah, blah. Sure. You know, and I liked that theming and I felt that theming was far more, you know, looking further mm-hmm. than so much of a very tired you know, farmer wife, the business opportunities in China as we as white people go into China and get our butt kicked, you know? Now, is it, just devil's advocate. Sure. Is the reason that we have this, that Euro games and, and games in general, right? Before Euro games, most of the games were war games. Right. Right? They were either they were the, either these family games or they were war games. Axis and allies. Yeah, well, but or or going back, I mean, Gettysburg in the 1980s, the number of games that were war games were numbered in the hundreds. There were hundreds and hundreds of war games. Yeah. The number of non-war games that were still hobby games, 10, 15. I know. (laughs) There was like there was almost nothing. (laughs) There was nothing. So the game, the board game hobby, the modern uh, hobby game came out of the war game to some degree. Right. I mean, Civilization came out. I would, of war I would, games to some degree. I would argue it really. Dungeons and Dragons came out of. Oh, absolutely. Came out of, came out of war right. games. Miniatures, but I still think that Monopoly. People played it and said, "You know what? This game kind of sucks." But I still like the mechanics. So I'm a mechanics designer. Sure. Right. And so I'm going to use the mechanics, not of Monopoly, but just coming up with games that focus more on mechanics versus either conflict or, you know, play, you know, the problems with Monopoly. But the early games were still, they felt theme-wise more like they had more in common with, with the war games than they had anything else. But P- I Puerto Rico was No, cu- but, um, no, no, let's go back to the biggest early Euro, and that's Settlers. Sure. And they had no war gaming in it. See, I don't, see, I, I look at it as a, as a war game. In a, in <laughs> I don't want to play Settlers with you, Tom. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. But you're still, I am building this road to make, to make it so that you cannot build that road. I am but, building this settlement to war lock gamey. off. I, I guess we're talking about it in different ways. I'm, I'm basically conflict, abstracting I'm, it down. Right, but okay, so to me, there's a big difference between a conflict game and a war game. To sure, me. okay, fine. I guess my point is this, is that what you're talking about to some degree is a problem for games that have st- historical settings, right? Right, abso- absolutely. But even some games 
that have future settings have not done well in diversifying the type of people totally. that are represented in the in the um, game. The new reprint of Dune. Right. They're all they're all white characters. Right. All of them. Yeah. And, and Dune, so you look at you look at the new movie of Dune coming yeah. out. What a what a tremendously wonderfully diverse cast. Right. And so what what's up with that? Why is it all white characters when they had an opportunity? Yeah. To make that change, but they don't do it. Well, you know, everybody knows about white people. Well, yeah, and we're tired of knowing. Some of us are tired of knowing about only white people. I, I mean, agree. okay, guys, I am black, but I my son is biracial, mm -hmm. so this is no kind of hate white people kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, is we need to diversify, and it helps the hobby. What some people don't understand is that when they come into the hobby, they're black or they're Hispanic. Sure, they don't see themselves. Right. Yeah. There, there, there's no representation of them. Right. And so then they, you know, particularly in these times. Yes. Uh, these shootings and things based on race. Yes. They kind of go, well, maybe this isn't my hobby. Right. Maybe I need to go back to my celebrity worship, worshiping that I was doing before I showed up at the, at the con. Can you think of some games that are that are doing a good job? Well, on like the I said, uh, Blackout Hong Kong, I thought was really good in that space. Sure. Uh, moving uh, Archipelago is a great game of recognizing the issue. Yes. We know what you yes. I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, sure. It's still about white guys coming in. In a but, weird way, Spirit Island, even though it's not, uh, right. even though it's not actually about the impact on people it right. is about it is a a, a pushback on uh, settling yeah exactly you see what colonization I mean? so these types of games are recognizing the issue and that's the first thing that has to happen right i like that yeah is that is that you know and that's what has been happening in the greater political society for a lot of people is that wait a minute you know this isn't what i thought it was and you're right there are a lot of video games that are that are making great strides oh huge why are why are the board games so conservative and i don't mean necessarily conservative in a political sense but in an in a business sense of right not of right because you know, again, and it's just like with movies now. I'm not saying that representation is full in movies, but it's a lot better. But I think it's because many of the board game publishers still care about that sale. That yep. they, you know, I mean, versus video games now, you know, a million copies in the first three days is not un. Usual. Do you think it's the publisher or do you think it's the designers? I mean, it, um, no, it's it? definitely the publisher because because the designer, the designers of La Stanza, for example, they could have put it there, but the publishers can totally wipe that out and so, re retheme the whole thing. Do you think Alexander Fister was told that he he needed to do a, a, a Caribbean? Thing, I don't or? know, and I don't even know if Alexander Fister actually made it Caribbean. You, do you understand? Because Euro games are about mechanics. Yes. So you can put mechanics anywhere. But it seems to me like it's still the designers that are the ones that are theming the games, and the and the number of times when it, when the publisher steps in and forces a retheme. I mean, I have I have, I'm on Twitter with these people, and there there's right. there is a much but greater. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, the publisher is responsible. I don't hold designers responsible. 
Okay. Well, I, I, but we, if the but if the impetus to do games with these themes that are problematic are coming from the designers, I think we do have to. No, hold them I to think some degree, the publisher has to come back and say, you know what, everybody's tired of the Caribbean, All right. Alexander. All right. I see that. Why don't you come back? I mean, Great Western Trail, even though again, no black cowboys, but you know, um, which the cowboys were black. Mm-hmm, there were mm-hmm. black cow, but there's no representation. Another sure. missed opportunity. Um, that the publisher is the one who's publishing and they have to say, hey, you, t- you know what? We're tired of this. I used to get these little games online and, and they were, you know, kind of like Euro type games and they were all white. And mm. so I wrote the publisher and I said, are you promoting the Ku Klux Klan here? Is that, <laughs> is that what? <laughs> Good for you. Good for and you. And guess what? They started painting the faces brown. I'll say, Tricarian is a game that does a really good job of representation. Yeah, exactly. Right? Every board, you can flip it over to the other side yeah, and you, it, get the oh, opposite, it's you get the opposite gender. Yeah. The, the, um, the, the characters that you play, the magicians, um, have some, maybe not as much as I would like, but they have they a have decent, amount of, decent amount of diversity yeah, in, terms of, right. uh, in terms of race and, and ethnicity. Right. And so they're not so worried about, you know, the MAGA people. And that was a game that was put out very independently. Right? Well, I love Ch- that game. Chikarian was developed, no, was developed very, very independently. And, and I can feel good about playing it versus, okay, so now I'm going to play Endeavor, which has slave chains right there on the board. Yep. Yeah, there's an excuse. I'm mean, not an excuse, an explanation. I will give them that of why they did it because it is historical. But still, you know, it was the same problem that I had with Carson City's original publish. Um, did you ever see the original Carson City? No. With the, the chink in it? No. Yes. Wow. Well, what happened, according to the Belgian designers, mm-hmm. is that their word for a servant was chink. And so they put an Asian person with chink on it. And you're like, I'm like, look, I cannot play this game. And my son is dating a Chinese woman and have her walk in. No, no, no. Of course not. No, so, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, you were, we were talking about this before we, we recorded and we, and you brought up Marco Polo, which I thought was really kind of fascinating because you were saying that it's still the it's still the western europeans that are going out seeking commerce and business and 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 going into these far flung places and i was like why doesn't that bother me when you describe the other ones they bother me yeah when you describe that one it doesn't bother me and i think the interesting thing about it is that the mongols were the victors in that historical struggle? Right. right. They were. They were the. They were the conquerors, but and the people that were playing in this game are the ones that ended up uh, being on the losing end of that. Right. Which is an interesting point. Which is sort of like if you're going to do a historical game, be very, very sensitive to the way this the way history is told is often from the perspective of the victors. But and no, pay it's attention from the, to what the cost is. But it's from the perspective of the Europeans and their and their descendants. Yes, yes. And Marco Polo is another game that is yet another Euro. You know, Europeans are going to go into foreign countries. Well, you know, what about DR Congo? Now that was an amazing theme mm-hmm. because they stayed within the Congo. 
It yes. was all about the people in the Congo. The you see, sure, yeah. I mean, Great Zimbabwe for me, I, I right. love because it uses. It's all in Zimbabwe, and it uses it's, actual Yoruba gods and yeah. But uh, even even see, it would be lesser of a game if it was about Europeans coming into Zimbabwe. Agree for me. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, no, so, I agree. Yeah. So, in terms of change. What you're arguing in this case is we need more change, not less. We need more. We need to take a, take a deep look at what we want to. We, we want to bring more people into the hobby. Right. We want to bring more diverse people into the right. hobby. What is the responsibility of, of, the game, of the game publishers in particular? I would say adding game designers as well, in, well a, in, a lesser, uh, in a lesser category, but to some degree. Well, no, but if the publishers, it's just like in the video game world. The publishers said, we want more diversity from you developer companies, right? Because yeah. in video games, you have companies that develop and companies that publish. Right. So EA says, you know what? We need more diversity, BioWare. And BioWare says, fine, we'll do that. And that's what, that's what we're not seeing because apparently they care about every dollar. But if you saw Strategicon, way more black people. Oh, yeah. Way more. Now, these are dollars that you could be looking for. But instead, you still want to talk about Christopher Columbus, <laughs> you know? Jennifer, thank you so much. I, I, I really do... Uh... I'm glad to have you as the first person to well, to, to, to run much. this episode because I think you've set the tone for what changes can be. It can be a, a sort of a, a look inside, a look at our, ourselves, a look at w where we are in the hobby and how we intersect with it and, and what can we do, what have we done differently and what can we still do differently. Right. I think that's really great. Thank you so much. We are we are out of time. We are going to have to skip our board game sommelier. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. We have a couple great ones that we're looking forward to talking next, about. Next week. Next week, indeed. So um, you can find us. We have a Discord channel. We have a Facebook group. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. Um, and uh, we even have some Instagram stuff going on. Please get us those board game sommelier questions. We really do love them. And uh, even though we didn't get to do any today, uh, they're a really fun thing that we that, that we love to do in the podcast. You've been listening to Game Brain. It's been produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. <laughs>